0: Good morning, Fullerton. Here are headlines for the week of June 13. Number one: Local leaders speak out on National Gun Violence Awareness Day. In honor of National Gun Violence Awareness Day, State Senator Josh Newman and Assemblywoman Sharon Quirk-Silva hosted a press conference against gun violence on the steps of Fullerton City Hall on June 3. Fullerton Mayor Fred Jung was the first to speak, addressing the uniquely American phenomenon of regular mass shootings. He stated. There have been 231 mass shootings this year, and we're barely into June. As of recording this podcast, it is now up to 247, according to Gun Violence Archive. There have been 27 school shootings this year and 119 school shootings since 2018. State Assembly member Sharon Quirk-Silva said that, as a mother of four and a teacher of 30 years, it hurts every time she hears of yet another mass shooting in our country. Quirk Silva stated, As a legislature, I plan to continue my support of current and future legislation that will help protect people from gun violence. However, we need U.S. Congress to act on common-sense popular gun reforms. It is my hope that the Protecting Our Kids Act currently moving through the federal legislature is passed soon. It's time to say, enough is enough. Number 2. Fullerton, our town, opens at Fulton Museum Center. The Fulton Museum Center opened its latest exhibit, Fullerton Art Town, on Friday, June 3rd. This exhibit showcases the past, present, and future of art, art organizations, galleries, events, and independent artists from our diverse community. Featured artists include Amy All, Catherine England, Jose Lozano, work by Florence Arnold, the Mogoski Arts Colony, and many more. To see photos from the opening, visit www.fultonobserver.com. Fullerton Art Town is on display through August 7th. The Fulton Museum Center is located at 301 North Pomona Avenue. For hours, directions, and admissions, visit www.fullertonmuseum.com. Number three, Catherine England, Fulton muralist. Catherine England is an artist who used her palette of imagination to bring life to the great areas of Fullerton by surrounding the town with different murals that encapsulated spirit. England grew up in the Bay Area during the 60s, where psychedelic colors and movements were prominent parts of our culture. England stated, I moved to Fullerton in 1986 and there was not much public artwork. I started by painting murals on my kids' school wall. I used kids' art as the inspiration for the first murals we put up. Other schools would come and see the murals at the schools. England has worked with a local nonprofit, All the Arts for All the Kids, to teach and share her passion. She always involves her community, whether it's through drawings or participation by local kids or institutions. To read her work, visit CatherineEngland.com. Number four, Taste of the Town. The Assistance League of Fullerton offered their 42nd annual Taste of the Town fundraiser on Saturday night, June 4. The event was held at the Downtown Plaza next to the Fullerton Museum after a two-year COVID pandemic hiatus. The theme for this year featured Las Vegas-style casino games that included entertainment by Elvis, interspersed with continuous music from the 50s. Around 20 exhibitors under pop-up tents offer delicious samples from local restaurants, plus beer and wine. The attendance was over 500. The fundraiser will support their philanthropic programs that include Operation School Bell, Vision Screening and Referral, La Vista High School, Meals on Wheels, Santa's Closet, Cal State Fullerton Scholarships, Operation New Start, Healthy Neighborhoods, and Foster Youth Success Initiative. The Assistance League also operates a thrift shop at 233 West Amridge Avenue across the street from the Fullerton Police Department at 10 a.m. every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday as another income source for their programs. Stop by and check them out. That is it for this week's headlines. So, next we have an interview with Ghazal Permol. She's a former scientist in the biomedical industry and a current stay-at-home mom. Today we will be discussing her experience as part of the Afghani diaspora in the Fullerton community. So... Hi Ghazal, can you please briefly introduce yourself? Hi,
1: uh, my name is Ghazal and I am a stay-at-home mom, I have a five-year-old daughter, and um, I recently moved to Fullerton from San Diego, where I lived for like 30 years, mm-hmm. um, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, thank you for the
0: introduction. So. You have, uh, you're originally from Afghanistan, correct?
1: Yes, correct.
0: Yeah, so when were you born and where were you born in Afghanistan?
1: I was born in 1976 in Kabul, which is the capital of Afghanistan. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm. Yeah, and what do you kind of
1: remember from your childhood there? Well, um... One of the memories that comes to mind is the house we lived in. We lived with my grandparents and my uncles and one of my aunts. The other two were married. Mm -hmm. Um, um, I remember going in the backyard and wanting to pick an apple and being scared of the rooster chasing me. (laughs) (laughs) And wanting my grandmother, taking her hand just to get the apple, and she'd... um, shake the uh, tree so the apple would fall. I remember being chased by that rooster every time I (laughs) needed to go to the outhouse, which is like a bathroom. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember going to a daycare with my mom, she walked a mile each way to Mm -hmm. go to college. And so there was a certain portion of the day that I would go to a daycare, and I remember the utensils being like stainless steel plates and uh, cups and things. Um, I, I have little memories of you know, like uh, my, my brother, who was two years younger than me, um, I remember um, just there's an overall feeling of like family because um, everyone was around, like it was the, the more like the nuclear family. Mm-hmm. So um, I, that's what I remember. Yeah. And what was the political climate of your childhood? Um, well, since I was a child, I wouldn't have known it. But th- during that time, the communists had infiltrated the government, mm-hmm. little by little, the ones who had turned and decided they wanted to be a part of Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was what was going on. Um, uh, my father worked for the Ministry of Finance. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was asked, he was told that he would get a higher position if he joined them in He declined, and that's what started our Mm -hmm. (laughs) escape this very same night. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, so can you go a little bit further in detail of that? Um, So he, um, because he knew that the commune, there's, you know, like, you kind of know, um, based on the history of Russia and what they've done to other smaller countries um, that they took over, um, he knew that if he refused that they would go after his family so really? he had to like escape there was no way there was no way for him to stay and um, protect us so we literally the same night we took the few belongings we had and we escaped on donkeys uh-huh. <laughs> and horses so um, and my grandfather he used to be the general a uh, uh, big general in the army and they started phasing him out. They made him retire early because they saw that his views wasn't Mm -hmm. what, and that was sort of like God saving him because, you know, they could have gotten rid of him too. So his family had actually escaped before ours.
0: Oh, so So it was already happening. Yeah.
1: Like the families that were in the govern that were in any way linked to the government, and they saw how much was taken over, and they started hearing things. Um, And we literally were hearing rockets, um, on the night that we were escaping, like, we could hear everything. Uh-huh. Um, and it took us 12 days to get across the Hindu Kush mountains into Pakistan. Uh-huh. Um, and we were the lucky ones because we came from more of a middle class to higher class family. Uh-huh. Um, and the mountains is where a lot of the poor people, the rural people, were. And maybe they would have one animal and they would sacrifice it for us. To these travelers that they'd never meet again, mm-hmm. just so we could make it. Like uh, the, the Afghan people were very hospitable like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we were the lucky ones. The poor people couldn't find a way out. You had to have money to escape um, mm-hmm. and have people cross you over without, you know, giving you up because you, they also get money for giving you up. So you had to, it's, it's a, right. it's a very, um dangerous situation to be in for Mm -hmm. refugees to try to get out without being told on um so that's how we escaped and i was four almost four three and a half um i remember on the trip i had a fever because my grandmother couldn't come with us at the time Mm -hmm. Um, she was going to be escaping with her sons after us um (coughs) so I had a fever at the time, and I lost one of my slippers on the road, and there's pictures of it, um, of our escape.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. That is a very, very young age. You probably Were you processing what was happening at that time? Um, I, the only thing I remember of that time was that there was chaos, and, and I had fear, and I, mm-hmm. m- I was very close to my grandmother. She would take care of me on the, t- on the time period that I didn't go to daycare, so um, I was very close to her. Mm-hmm. So, I remember just feeling this loss like, why isn't she coming with us? You know, mm-hmm. like this is a family I've lived with growing up. And mm-hmm. I saw her a lot, so it, you know, I was very bonded to her. Yeah. So, I, th- what I remember is just the chaos as a child, just not knowing why we're suddenly leaving. And, mm-hmm. and it's nighttime and we're cold. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Hindu mountains can get really cold. Right. Um, and I do also remember the donkey kept dropping me. Oh. So I always had this fear, like the donkey would go down the hill and I would be so scared. And my uncle's new wife, they had literally just gotten married, like, mm-hmm. and she had to escape with him. Yeah. Um, so she was the one that was behind me on the donkey. And our donkey kept going down the hill and dropping me because I didn't weigh a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd fall off. You we were so
0: tiny, yeah. and this
1: was like a twelve-day journey. <laughs> yes, and twelve days across the mountains. Wow! And the whole time, you're hearing rocket fire, mm-hmm. and you know you're hiding beh- beside rocks and just mm-hmm. try- make hoping that you're safe. Also, they had um, put mines on the ground for children that look like toys, and mm-hmm. so we had to be very wary of that and make sure that we didn't take any of it. Right. Uh, well, at least our parents had to make sure that we didn't take anything.
0: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier, your mom uh, was a school teacher, right? Yes, before correct. the escape.
1: Yes, she was a chemistry school teacher mm-hmm. um, in the the high school, the girls' high school, mm-hmm. and that was what she st- had studied.
0: Yeah. So, how was the situation? If you remember anything for her, like how does she explain this to you?
1: What about the students? Um, she didn't well she's told me about um her father since he was a general and he he actually knew eight languages oh, wow. and he really valued education um so he made sure that she got her education even before thinking about um uh, well she did get married before her education was complete but one of the things was that she has to finish her education mm-hmm. that was one of the stipulations and because he valued it so much um, uh, and all of my uncles and my aunt and that and his right. family are educated they all have either masters PhD doc- mm-hmm. like their doctors things like that mm-hmm. so and this is like before that was even a thing I would say yes you know? but okay. actually in in Kabul there was a lot of women who were educated um, even from my father's side mm-hmm. the they were teachers um, mm-hmm. and my father himself, who was very educated and at that time, because he won the one scholarship that you get, they, they give once a year to a couple of university students, you apply for it. And he won the scholarship to go to Penn State to get his master's in public uh-huh. administration so that was his first trip to america and that was, he didn't know any english right he would stay up all night with the like farsi english dictionary trying to figure out his assignments mm-hmm. and he still went ahead and got his masters and wow. came back that is so impressive and i think the
0: educational background did that perhaps like add to the privilege your family had to be able to then escape
1: definitely i really think um the more educated you are, the more you know what ch- what opportunities lay ahead, mm-hmm. which countries will give you those opportunities, because you can read about it. Um, mm-hmm. And I know we didn't have the internet back then, so right. you, you would read newspapers. Like my grandfather, to the day he died, he was reading newspapers, and mm-hmm. he... Passed away past the age of a hundred mm-hmm. now we don 't know the ages in our culture for the elderly, but um, right. based on his friends and others who had passed away, we know he was over a hundred mm-hmm. so. yeah, where the years can get a little iffy yeah. <laughs> um,
0: so going back to the journey you made after the twelve nights you you ended up in Pakistan
1: yes, we went to Pakistan, and we stayed there for two weeks um and we had heard that Germany has a very, um, they have—they accept refugees more easily. Like they're, you know, they have more of a tolerance for refugees and they have mm-hmm. programs actually, like um, social welfare programs for refugees. So we went to Germany from Pakistan uh-huh. um, and then we stayed there almost two years. And then we came to America, mm-hmm. <laughs> which we did the paperwork for <laughs> America because that was our that was our real goal to come to america right. since my father had already come here and mm-hmm. liked it
0: yeah so how was the 2 week experience in pakistan were you in karachi um i believe
1: i believe we were uh-huh. but i'm not sure to be honest yeah do you not remember much from it i remember um staying in the hotels and um the guy that owned the hotel would tell me I could come down, and he would give me, like, sweet, sweet, like, ice cream and stuff. But he would tell me, don't tell all the other kids. So me and my brother would come down, have our little treat. Uh-huh. I remember that. I remember that the food was really spicy, and tears <laughs> would be coming down my eyes. But I was so hungry because 12 days, you know, 12 days yeah. and nights on the on, um, Escaping, We didn't have a lot of food, so I was really hungry, so I was just eating it up, but I remember tears just coming <laughs> down my face. So. Um,
0: so how was the experience in Germany? You were there for two years?
1: Yes. So. Um, in Germany, they have a really good—well, they had a really great system for refugees. Mm-hmm. Um, they gave you housing, um, and— I remember I would go once a week to the little shop and get a little um, hair barrette and so that was my treat. My mom would give me one hair barrette every week or every other mm-hmm. week. Um, I remember it was cold um, and dreary mm-hmm. and um, I remember um, I knew, I learned the, the Turkish language and had a friend in daycare that was mm-hmm. Turkish. So I would, I learned the Turkish language fluently because they also had a lot of programs on TV. Mm-hmm. I remember there was a bully that was taller and bigger than the rest <laughs> of us. And I was so scared of him. And I think he was bald. Like he looked older and he was bald and he was just a bully. And I was so scared of him in daycare. So I, I have that memory. Mm-hmm. But I had my little best friend who's Turkish and <laughs> I learned the language from. Um, we would go on a lot of um, field trips in daycare. Um, so I remember those. And it's beautiful. The German countryside is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember those kind of things, like little, you know, things yeah. like that. Yeah, because you were still so young. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it was just what a play. Five it was years a time old? of play. Yeah. Well, I was by then I was four to five, and then I came here when I wasn't yet six. I was like five and a half. All Right. So which state did you first come to in the U.S.? so we had applied to come to california because my uh, father had visited and he said the the weather is just like kabul like Mm -hmm. so beautiful um but their the paperwork was sent to north carolina where my mom's brother was studying at um, north carolina state university for engineering Mm -hmm. um, because they said do you have any relatives
2: and right. he had
1: written, down, "Yeah, I have a brother-in-law in North Carolina," so all our paperwork got sent to North Carolina instead. Mm-hmm. So that's where we ended up, and that's where all the extended family, uncles, aunts, cousins, everybody ended up. Okay. Um, but my my father always wanted to come back to North uh, come back to California, mm-hmm. um, so we moved later to California.
0: Right. So how long were you in North Cal- Carolina for? <laughs>
1: We were in North Carolina about 11 years,
0: mm-hmm.
1: So, s- and I came here my senior year of high school. Um, mm-hmm. I had actually come here in the summer, mm-hmm. and um, we really loved the weather, and mm-hmm. um, because I had health difficulties in North Carolina, I was asthmatic, lots of allergies, shots, all these things. My parents thought that was a perfect (laughs) excuse to now come to California because I I didn't need my spray for a whole month, Mm -hmm. Um, and so they came to California, so it was a very sudden move, like sell the house, everything like two months, Mm -hmm. and then move here, and I ended up coming, it was my, it was the third day of school, and I was the new student at a high school, um, Mm -hmm. completely new, um, Mm -hmm. in Mira Mesa, San Diego. (laughs) Uh
0: So, so far, you know, you're of high school age, you've spent pretty much all your life outside of Afghanistan. What is your understanding of what is happening in Afghanistan at this point?
1: Um well I very much followed what was going on in Afghanistan and literally the year before I came, the Russians were finally like defeated and they mm-hmm. they retracted, so that was nineteen eighty two. Um, and so I had followed it all along and I knew that, you know, they're it was like the Russian. I'm part of the Afghan-Russian war, so it was. It felt nice that finally they're no longer there. Maybe we can rebuild our country. Mm-hmm. But there was other things around the corner, and right. that was the civil wars, mm-hmm. where now everyone wants power, and mm-hmm. all these warlords they they're fighting amongst themselves, and there's um, ethnic divide and things like that. Um, so it was still very sad for us because. Um, when you're a refugee, you never think you're going to stay in the land that you end up in. You think you're when things get better, you're going to go back to your own country. Um, mm-hmm. And um, because I observed my religious practices, I was... My whole childhood was riddled with, like, bullying and Mm -hmm. things like that. Um, So I never quite felt like I belonged here Mm -hmm. because I kept those traditions and customs. It's a lot better now, but I was often, like, the only girl Mm -hmm. in the whole school that was wearing a scarf. Mm -hmm. And so that's the kind of... uh, things you think about as a you know that age that you're talking about and you're in, you're in a new high school mm-hmm. of course California is way more tolerant than what I grew up with in the south mm-hmm. and things have changed in the south also things have gotten more tolerant I, I would say but um, growing up in North Carolina being one of the few Afghan families um, and everyone that it was in North Carolina pretty much was either related to us or just a, a few strangers um, But growing up with adversity um, and just challenges like that, you always think, like, you want to go back somewhere where what you're doing is considered normal and, you know, okay versus you're always the one that stands out. And Mm -hmm. um, so as it gets tough so that was what was running through my head that hey what's gonna what's going on now we're fighting amongst ourselves and and Mm -hmm. the country we really need to settle down and rebuild our country Mm -hmm. Um, and of course it went on to more years (laughs) of (laughs) war. it's been like over 40 years of war now right
0: so at this point did you have any family back in Afghanistan
1: that you were keeping connected with The family we have in Afghanistan even now is um, people that my parents connect with, like it's their cousins, their uncles, Mm -hmm. you know, their, you know, cousins, wives, children, things like that. Um, Most of my immediate family escaped when, like right when the Russians came. So all my uncles from both sides, aunts from both sides, they're Mm -hmm. all here and I, I have some relatives in Germany still. Yeah.
0: So... Yeah. Wow, so that's just, you know, you've been to a few countries by now, you've been exposed to many different languages. In hindsight, you know, sitting here now in Fullerton, how do you view this experience of being a refugee and traveling? I mean, not traveling per se, but getting out and then
1: moving and moving again and moving again, you know? Um, in hindsight, I think it really... Uh it definitely strengthens you and gives you character to go mm-hmm. through hardships and overcome them and be able to maybe step outside and help somebody else who's going through it. Um, for example, when we were refugees, there were no Afghan refugee groups that, to help us <laughs> settle mm-hmm. in. Um, literally, we had to figure everything out ourselves. Um, you know, my uncles and my grandparents, they had to moved here before us, but not by much, by like a year. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, And so they helped us somewhat, but financially there was churches who would give us things, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just out of their own generosity. They they checked out when there was uh, refugees coming into the area. And this was in the South, which was very kind of them, because they're known also for their generosity in that regard. But now it's nice because the diaspora is helping the new refugees, so they, right. they can tell them exactly what to do, what mm-hmm. not to do, how to get like education quicker. Mm-hmm. How, you know, like it's not like you have to go to four-year college, like mm-hmm. if you need to start working, or um, they can line them up with ESL classes. Right. Everything we did it was uh as refugees back then we had to do ourselves. I had I I had an ESL class that mm. I had to learn. I didn't know a single word of English when I came here. Right. Um in fact I remember being on the bus and I was I kinda fell asleep on the bus and I the bus driver didn't know that I hadn't gotten off, so I got up and I was like, Halt, halt uh-huh. like because I knew German and I didn't know how to say stop so um or I would ask if something was pork, and I'd be like, schwein? <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> so so um, I had to learn a whole new language. Um, and, you know, it was so different than now in Afghanistan. A lot of places do teach you some English, you know. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the refugees that are coming, they know some English already. Yeah. Whereas we didn't know a word except for what my father had studied My mom didn't know a word of English. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So everything was fresh. So this, my experience of being in different countries, meeting different people, um, I'm so grateful because I could have been one of the people dead in the grave they found with 100,000 people that the communists Mm -hmm. killed. These are families of those people who refused to work with them. They found a grave if that's where they had Mm -hmm. buried them we could have been there so i'm very very grateful that i had the opportunities i have um and it's taught me never to take that for granted so especially um now that we see refugees and i feel for them like if i buy something for my daughter Mm -hmm. i want to buy their child like a little dress or something Mm -hmm. i i think about you know how much that would mean to them versus I'm My daughter's used to having nice clothes or nice yeah. toys or something, and um, that's something I'm teaching my daughter right now. Like, if she doesn't want to play with a toy anymore, I'm like, so we're giving that to the refugee kids, right? And she'll even bring me toys and say, give this to the refugee kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm teaching her that you have so much, and that little kid doesn't have anything, and they would mm-hmm. be so happy to have this. Um, so that's what it's taught me, being going through all that has taught me to be super grateful for every experience we've had the education i was afforded to be able to get education and have parents that let me study whatever i wanted to study um that doesn't come easily (laughs) it doesn't yeah
0: that's you know a lot of great life experiences that you can now pass on um, to your daughter and i'm so thankful that you're here sharing it (laughs) with us as well thank you so um what, uh, then how did you pr- proceed with your education once you graduated high school?
1: Um, I, I had gotten some scholarships um, to various universities um, and so I didn't want my family to move. They were gonna move wherever I, I got accepted because we have some traditional conservative values. So they, they let the first four years, they wouldn't have let me go somewhere alone. But after that, as I'm older, they would have so I went to UCSD because I did not want them to move again. Yeah. Um, I had gotten into Berkeley, Davis, like every school that I had applied to. I didn't apply to Ivy League schools. Uh-huh. I just wanted, you know, to get my undergraduate. Um, and then I was working in the industry, uh, right after that I was working um, at a pharm- uh, pharmacy, a corporate pharmacy. Mm-hmm. and. I was studying for my MCAT, and I went to school again for another degree, but I had actually gone to do, um, what's it called? It's it's a program where you do pre-med classes intensively to get into pre-med, but I ended up making that into a degree, and that was at Cal State East Bay, mm-hmm. so, um, but I decided against medicine because of what I witnessed at the pharmacy, um, there was too much bureaucracy, and Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. yeah.
0: And then you were a scientist in the biomedical <laughs> industry, Yes, so, I st-
1: so when I went, came back, I started working in the pharmaceutical biotech industry um, mm-hmm. in various roles, a like chemist, a biologist, um, and built up to the scientist level. Got
0: it. So, so you got a great education and career. <laughs> yes. You know, And and so did your parents back in Afghanistan, yes, correct? Yes,
1: definitely. My mom, um, even now, she's a production scientist at a biotech company, mm-hmm. um, which they have their base here in Fullerton. Yeah. Um, uh, what's the name? I don't, know, I don't remember <laughs> the name, but they have a base here in Fullerton, actually.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Um, in in Fullerton, how big of an Afghani diaspora exists here?
1: Um I don't there's not a specific mosque here that's just caters to like Afghan people. So I would say we're really spread out and I'm sure there's mm-hmm. I'm sure there's quite a few in Orange County I would say. So mm-hmm. Fullerton might be smaller, um right. in terms of how many Afghans, at least the mosques that I've been to, there's not a whole lot of Afghans but it's spread out in Orange County so that there's definitely a lot, I would say, in the tens of thousands for sure. Mm,
0: yeah. So it's a pretty big community now yes. compared to what it was Oh definitely. when you were uh, definitely. a new refugee. So I- in Fullerton or in Orange County overall, like, what kind of efforts, organizations are you particularly involved in that helps the new refugees that are coming about?
1: To be honest, I'm not um i haven't been as involved in the orange county one i've been mm-hmm. more involved in the san diego one where i just um you know we look out for each other there's uh, chat groups on wh- whatsapp where mm-hmm. if they say there's a refugee that needs a job mm-hmm. so you have job leads there's a refugee that needs a house can you guys look for some apartment <laughs> or something that mm-hmm. they can live in uh, that's a you know this is the budget um and then they i regularly give like donations or i'll buy stuff and as a donation so mostly i've been doing that um and if i could get babysitting (laughs) then i would do even more like hands-on things but it's mostly done through the computer i send job links you know like we look out for each other and then people the refugees there's someone that helps them apply Um, Mm um they have fairs like job fairs they have um like, the stuff we donate, they, they can come in and get what they need. Um, so it's, I'm part of just the donation part of it. Right, and that's <laughs> still <laughs> a really, really big part of,
0: you know, getting yeah. them the help that they need. Yeah, so you know? we
1: mostly do, like, internet searches for them. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say they say, hey, you know, they need internet. And I know about the AT&T free internet for mm-hmm. um, certain uh groups and so I'll send out the link and say this is how you apply or something mm-hmm. like that so it's it's mostly communication like right. do you know where they can do this do you know where they can get that and that's mm-hmm. what we respond to in the chat group
0: right and that's
1: that's so helpful I think communication makes up such a big oh, part yeah,
0: of it too definitely <laughs> um So for people who are listening, you know, people that might not know a lot about what is happening in Afghanistan or what the diaspora looks like, but they want to get involved, they want to volunteer, they want to donate. Yes. What specific organizations would you recommend that we donate to?
1: Well, there's the Afghan Refugee... Um, group which is uh, based in Orange County, mm-hmm. and up until like a day or two ago, they l- literally had a big warehouse which was an old Sears building. Mm-hmm. And so, they were donating like Amazon was donating fridges there, and mm-hmm. like they had everything there. Like clothes are all going there and being sorted every morning. Um, so, I would say that's a really good organization to. Um, because they literally do everything for the refugees, from finding them homes to finding them rides, finding them cars. Um, and so they are always asking for, you know, donations because new refugee families are always being transferred here, coming here still. Um, and the, the expenditures, the government stipends that they've gotten, a lot of them have stopped Mm-hmm. So now they actually need to make their own money right. uh, to be able to stay here. So it's, it's tough. Like, we had it um, tough starting out, but we didn't, um, we didn't have that, st- that stipend. We didn't have, like, this much money that mm-hmm. you can use on this or that. But my father was educated, and he knew English, so he worked three jobs. Growing up, he worked three jobs to get us off welfare, Right, because he said, as long as I have a shoulder to work with, you know, I'm going to work. So we we're not on welfare anymore. But welfare for refugees was like welfare for everyone else back then, mm-hmm. whereas now there's uh, programs just for refugees where right away they'll you can have housing, like the cost of housing covered up to a certain number of months. Um, whereas the average person has to go apply for housing. It could be three or wait, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. But for refugees, at least for the first few months, they they um, they have they had a certain stipend and now it's running out. So, mm-hmm. so definitely I would, um, the Afghan refugee relief, I would definitely say, um, and they also have a page on Facebook. I would say I would donate to them because they're the ones involved in the front lines, even with legal things, everything mm-hmm. that they're, they're doing in Orange County, like a big, uh, including L.A., just that whole area
0: yeah so we'll definitely include that link in our show notes and have people get redirected to that so i want to talk a little bit about the situation in afghanistan right now you know america's biggest war longest war has ended um what are your thoughts on america pulling out its troops taliban taking over economy free falling you know so much has happened
1: um First of all, I don't believe they had any right going in there. Right. <laughs> um, there was no reason for them to have gone in there. Um, it's a very unfair situation. I want everyone to know just how much people are suffering. I saw a, little, a picture once of a little boy who died by the grave of his mother who had frozen a, like a year ago from the cold for trying to escape with her kids. Um, and she had frozen because of the cold and he had been laying by her grave, and he's hungry, he doesn't have food, and he passed away too. So it was a very hurtful picture to see as a mother. Um, and this is like commonplace. That's just one picture. This, this is happening all the time now. And uh, right now, Afghanistan's the biggest humanitarian crisis right now. Mm-hmm. Um, worse than Yemen, and Yemen's pretty bad, so. Yeah. So, yeah, this is how they left Afghanistan, who, yeah. who helped make them rich off the minerals, off the contracts and everything. This is what I feel.
0: Yeah, so completely just decimated Afghanistan yes. and the future of the Afghani people. Exactly. Um, yeah, and thank you for sharing all of your thoughts and your experiences. I think it really helps enlighten our team here, as well as anyone who is listening about You know, it's not just numbers, it's not just terrorists or we're fighting terrorists or we're installing a democracy. It's really just a big, whole mess that has been created. And Mm -hmm. God knows how worse it's going to get. So it's just, you know, it's it's horrendous just to even, you know, and we're sitting here in our privileged little houses with, uh, you know, everything. and, and. we can't even watch the news. And, and we have this privilege of also just shutting it and, and going away once it gets too horrific, like pictures, like the one that you mentioned or videos. and But the people of Afghanistan don't have that choice. They're stuck.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But one of the things I do, one of the practices I do, which I d- hadn't done in a while, is I follow pages that show me these images. Um. Just to remind myself of where I am in life and where these people are in life and what I can do. Let's mm-hmm. say that week I can give $25. That's a certain number of breads that will feed a certain number of people for the night. Um, right. Things like that. Um, and I think if people do that, like I was thinking if, if people have a lot of followers on uh, Instagram and they ask for a $20 donation, say they have 1,000 followers, that's $20,000 that's going towards you know, the people that will feed them. I mean, that's the most important thing I'm thinking, aside from anything else, is we need to feed the people right now. Mm -hmm. Like, forget if they can go to school or not. Forget anything else. We need to feed them. Like, they're losing their health. They're dying. Um, So my priority when I look at these pages is, is this family being fed? Mm -hmm. Is there any way, like, I can ask people to give more donations for families to be fed or little kids to be fed or elderly to be fed um it's pretty sad what's happening and i never thought in a million years it would get this bad Mm -hmm. i thought things would get better once you know the foreigners had left foreigners being russians and then to think america went in there for no reason at all whatsoever for 20 years that hurt the most because i'm in america so i feel like you know my taxes are contributing to this Right. You know, And that hurts me because I didn't sign up for my taxes to go to these efforts. Um, right. um, and I think that that's true for Iraq. That's true for Syria. That's true for so many other countries where there's no reason for there to have been a war. And who suffers at the end is these poor people. The poor people suffer the most. Mm-hmm. And we didn't come from a poor family, so... You know, even though we, ha- we we're kind of poor when we first came here, I don't know what it feels like to be in their shoes and go hungry for several nights. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it feels like to, you know, from my to wear shoes where my toes are showing for like years on and things like that. Um, so that's why I I follow those accounts to see those images and remind myself that I need to continually give and not just yeah. in the month of Ramadan, which is mm-hmm. our month of giving, but continually give because I want everyone to know, especially the Muslim community, that donations have gone down by 85% to all these organizations since Ramadan. Right. You know, everyone thinks about the poor because they're fasting and they're, they feel that hunger just for a certain number of hours. <laughs> and then we forget that these people are still in that state continuously. Mm-hmm. So I remind myself to this is my way of reminding myself like in my day to day that hey and for me it's a balance like i've gotten to the point where i can see them um cry about it you know and feel really sad make prayers for them but at the same time say hey i'm going to do something right you know because if i'm not reminded i'll, I'll live my life and just think i'm in sunny california <laughs> enjoying my life things are good i have a cute daughter um, and so I have to remind myself continuously like, hey, th- there's people out there. Um, and, I, and I actually also follow a page where it's like other people in other countries that are suffering too. So it's not just Afghanistan. To remind myself this is happening everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, poverty and, and war-stricken people. Mm-hmm. So I follow those pages for a reason. Right.
0: And it, it's, it's a reminder to yourself that you're not completely helpless. You can do something about it. And yes. And I would... In really, the West, right. especially. Right. Yeah, there's so much we can do. Like, we might think, like, oh, we're sitting here. There's nothing really to do that we can contribute. But really, mm-hmm. like, we can keep these people going. Yes. By um, donating to them and donating to the right organizations. So... Thank you so much for sharing all of this with us today, Hazel. I really appreciate your um, openness to be able to explain the entire experience. I'm sure it's a very painful experience for you to go back and explain to us, but I I hope this can remind the people that just because the war in Afghanistan is quote-unquote over, the plight of the people is not. So we have to keep giving and we have to keep informing ourselves.
1: Thank you so much for having
0: me. Thank Thank you. Alrighty, that is the end of today's podcast. Fullertonians, thank you for listening. Be sure to follow the Fulton Observer on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to keep up with the latest Fullerton news. Full-length stories of all our headlines are available on the Fulton Observer website, or you can subscribe to the print edition that gets mailed to your home every two weeks. You can also donate to support local journalism on our website. If you would like to sponsor this podcast, email ads at fultonobserver.com. The journalists behind our headline stories are Adrian Mesa, Fernando Guerrero, Isha Salman, and Jesse Latour. Adrian Mesa and Jackson Henry edited the podcast. Bianca Bravo manages communications, and I'm Arush Navid, your host.
2: <clears throat> Five years old means you're a little kid, like you can't get a butterfly tablet. It's only for bigger kids. You can't get a what? A butterfly, a butterfly tablet. Ah, uh, yeah, I know. I can't even I get can't one agree. either. Uh-huh. You can't get the butterfly tablet yet if you're much bigger. No, it's for like big, big kids. I can't get a butterfly tablet. I tried to get one, but they refused me. It was like a tricks is for kids things. I couldn't couldn't get one. You couldn't get one. No, that's really weird.
1: I can't get tricks either.
2: Well, I need to help me do something. So, Legoland is a fun place gotcha. and. It's a fun place that where you can go somewhere. And a fun place of Lakeland. Do you like Disneyland? i never been there before. It's pretty expensive. Yeah. I can't go there either. And it has expensive tickets. Yeah, that's not for big kids or or, or uh, little kids. It's just for rich kids. <laughs> that's you? Is it for you?
1: Huh? Is it for you? No. It's, he means you have to save up for
2: it. Oh, it's not for bigger kids or little kids. You have to save up. Yeah. It's
1: for the rich kids. Can you give us an outro?
2: Yeah, the rich kids. It's only for that kids, but little kids cannot go if they don't save up. Hey, okay, don't put your mouth. Oh. Yeah. Can
0: you tell yeah. the
2: people thank you for listening to today's podcast? Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Aww. All right. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show.